0: Twenty-one years ago, we prayed. We prayed in big groups and small groups. We prayed in big churches and little churches. We prayed in Sunday school classes. Donna and I prayed at home. We prayed in the car. We prayed for a church. We prayed for a place for that church to meet. And 21 years ago this Sunday, we unloaded a trailer into New Britain Elementary School. We we took through the gym. We unloaded cribs for the nursery, tubs and tubs of stuff for the elementary school ministry. We had a 30-cup coffee maker. We had $3,000 worth of sound equipment. Early in the morning, I backed the trailer up to the back door of the elementary school, and people that had volunteered their time and their love came out, started unloading that thing. And God answered our prayers. And a church was born. And that church has continued. That church has continued to carry forth the vision that we had. That church has continued to honor Jesus Christ. That church has continued to value and to teach the Word of God. That church has continued to meet the needs of people not only within her church but beyond her walls. And today we celebrate. 21 years of God answering prayers. And that's why we still continue to pray to Him. It's because He is God. He is powerful. He does love us. His mercy is abounding. And He still answers prayers. So let's pray together. Father in Heaven, I am so grateful. So grateful that You answered our prayers. So grateful that You heard us when we... When we cried so desperately. Sometimes we cried out to you with joy because of the wonderful things that you were doing. The lives you were changing. The hearts you were mending. The homes you were healing. Sometimes we cried out to you in frustration. Because finding a place to meet. Finding willing workers. Sometimes we just cried out in frustration. Sometimes we cried out in pain because not all the homes were healed. Not everyone followed, chose to follow your son Jesus. And not everyone stayed with us. Not everyone shared the vision. So in our cries of exaltation, in our pleas of despair, you were always working in us, working through us to accomplish what you would do. And now we celebrate that. We celebrate that you are still answering our prayers, that this church is still winning souls, mending hearts, and healing homes. And so we cry to you with joys of celebration. And we come together, and sometimes we share our heartaches And our difficulties, because not every home is healed, not every heart is mended, and not everyone that we love comes to your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we continue to ask for your blessing, your guidance, and we ask, Father, that in our gathering this morning, that your Son, Jesus, will be glorified. That is what you created us to do. That is why you gave birth to a church. That is why we are assembled here this morning, for your honor and your glory. And so it is in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. I heard about a televangelist who told his audience that there are 875 sins. Immediately. People blew up his phone and his email. Everybody was asking for the full list, and most of them wanted to make sure they were not missing anything. Do you feel like something is missing? Do you feel like something just isn't there? Do you feel like maybe you're missing the joy? Do you wonder sometimes what happened to the joy? What is missing for you? Do you have a little joy? Do you have some joy? Do you have a whole lot of joy and still it feels like there's something missing? Well, the Apostle Paul has some clues for us as we search for joy. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. In a few moments, I'm going to read for you the first 11 verses there. What we're going to discover in God's Word this morning is not pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. This is not for people with a deep knowledge of the Bible or seminary graduates. The theme of the book of Philippians is joy. And I want to remind you that Paul wrote about having joy while he was a prisoner in Rome because he was preaching that Jesus had died and raised from the dead. He wrote about joy to Christians who had struggles and problems. He wrote about joy to believers in Jesus to tell them that they can have joy. And he writes to us who believe in Jesus Christ. And he tells us that we can have joy. Garrison Keillor said, Some people find it difficult to both be a Christian and to laugh. But I think it's the other way around. God writes a lot of comedy. It's just that he has so poor, so many poor actors. Mr. Keeler might have been on the right track. God does have a sense of humor. He created us in his image. He created us with the ability to laugh. God laughs. And Paul tells us that we can have real Joy. So let me read to you from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player in the 1920s, and after his baseball career, he turned to being a very fiery revival preacher. He once said, if you have no joy in your religion, then there is a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Do you wonder sometimes that maybe you have a leak. There's a story that I heard a long time ago about a man who came to revival meeting every year. In fact, twice a year, his church would host a revival meeting, and every year he'd go to the revival meetings, and he would sing the songs, and he would amen the preacher, and every time the invitation song was, was sung, he would walk down front, and he would rededicate his life, and when the revival meeting was over, he would go right back to his wicked way of living one one evening during a revival meeting he stood up in the middle of the service and he shouted fill me lord fill me and a woman in the back had finally had enough of the hypocrisy she stood up and she said don't do it lord he leaks do you feel like some of the joy of the lord has trickled away do you feel that something is missing well the apostle paul did the Apostle Paul writes and he tells us that his joy is not complete. Now, I want us to back up just a little bit. Paul did have joy. And we talked about that when I was with you two Sundays ago. And Joshua talked about it last week. Even in difficult circumstances, even in prison, the Apostle Paul says that he had joy. If you turn back in your Bible to chapter 1 and if you find verse 4 The apostle writes in all my prayers for you I always pray with joy. So yes, Paul had joy. And then if you skip down to verse 18 of Philippians chapter 1, he writes I rejoice, yes, I will continue to rejoice. The apostle has joy. And he expects that joy to persist. It's going to go on. But in our text, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, he tells us that something is missing. He writes, then make my joy complete. He's asking for help. His joy is not complete. Something is lacking. He has joy, but it isn't complete joy. So what is it? What is the problem? Can it be fixed? What could his friends in Philippi do while he is in prison in Rome to plug this leak? Go back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, and let's read all of it this time. Then make my joy complete by being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. What was missing was unity. I want to say thanks to Nancy. She sneaked out. Yeah. Uh, Nancy... uh, Tied your bulletin cover theme into the sermon message. And, and I want to take a moment to say that I appreciate so much what goes on here. Jeff and his team work so hard to get our hearts ready for me to preach. And I just, that means so much to me. Nancy works behind the scenes all week long to help make this day come together very well. And there are others working behind the scenes. And I'm very proud of your elders. They are good men who love this church, who love Jesus Christ. They work hard and they pray hard. And I'm so grateful for them. So a lot of things have come together for us to talk about unity this morning. In the Philippian church, unity was the missing element. Paul was being robbed of complete joy because there was disharmony in the church in Philippi. I suggest that if you feel like you are missing out on complete joy, if you feel like somehow joy is leaking out of you, the way to plug it, the solution, and the way to find real joy just might be unity. As you can see on the outline, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about what unity, what unity is. We're going to talk about some how-to, how to have unity. But first, I think we need to start with motivation. A song leader in a church stood up and asked everybody to turn to page 654. And he said, we're going to sing till the whole world knows. And one little girl in the back said to her father, if, if we're going to sing till the whole world knows, we're going to be here a very long time. And it will take a lot of time. We're going to be at it a very long time. And we will have to do an awful lot of work to find unity. We need to know what the benefit is. Why should we go to the effort to have and maintain unity? Why bother? Well, the motivation is to have joy, complete joy. Unity is essential to having joy, but what is this unity? I want to start with talking about what unity is not. Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity is something that just happens on the surface. The United States Army is all big about uniformity. They have everyone dress in a uniform. The two words have the same root. So those who are uniform dress alike, look alike, talk alike, sound alike, think alike, act alike. But uniformity is neither healthy nor biblical. Uniformity happens on the surface... Unity comes from deep within. It is the inner desire to be on the same team, to strive for the same objectives, to benefit one another. Paul gives us a description of the unity that he is longing for in verse 2 of Philippians chapter 2. He starts out, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Donna and I live in Fort Wayne. We moved back to my hometown just over six years ago. And shortly after we moved back, I got the invitation to go to my stepmom's church and to share with her senior citizens group. And that was a lot of fun. They gave me the opportunity to share a brief devotion. And, and so I got there in time to eat with them. And we ate together and we talked together. And we really had a wonderful time. And since, since that time, I've been back and I've enjoyed my visits. I've enjoyed my conversations. And I look back to visiting with them again. So, how is it possible that I can actually look forward to that? These people are all from their mid-60s, many of them into their 90s. What do I have to say to them? What do we have to talk about? Why can I look forward to being with them? Is it possible for me to be like-minded with this group of geriatrics? Well, the answer is yes. And actually, it's very easy. I have so much in common with them. We trade stories about back pain. We all grew up in families, and we all know what it is like to have lost someone through death. Being like-minded means that we focus on what we have in common rather than searching for our differences. Having unity and being like-minded is not limited to our church relationships. In your home and at school, where you work, and in senior citizen gatherings, we get along better when we find areas where we have common experiences and common desires. Having a common desire connects us to Paul's next statement. So I want to take you back to Philippians 2.2 2 one more time. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. Unity happens when we have the same love. Another way to state that is unity happens when we love the same one. When you love yourself... You are creating the potential for conflict. You see, when I love myself and you love yourself and he loves herself and she loves herself and everybody is just loving self, 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 we're going to have conflict. However, when I love Jesus and you love Jesus and he loves Jesus and she loves Jesus and everybody loves Jesus, we have the same love. A love for the Savior, a passion for the Lord, and we are united and we find joy In that union. Unity unity is being like-minded. Unity is having the same love. And unity is being one in spirit and purpose. Now here's another area that is so critical for this church. It relates to the previous part of the definition of, of unity. And that is having the same love. When our common love is for Jesus Christ It will give us a unity of purpose. Church members very often will squabble with one another because they have different agendas. Some people like a different style of music. Some people think the church service ought to start a different time. Some people think the walls ought to be painted a different color. We will only have unity when we have a unity of purpose. Paul wrote about that in his letter to the Ephesians. If you would go back a page or two from our passage in Philippians chapter 2 and find Ephesians chapter 4. In a moment I want to read for you verses 2 through 6. Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus that they have different abilities, they have different gifts, they have different talents, but they're to have one passion and one purpose. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. I want to read that again. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. God's Word tells us that to have unity, we must follow just one Lord. There must be just one purpose. In Ephesians 4 and Philippians 2, we are given the key to unity. And and unity is the key to real joy. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read, Be completely humble and gentle. In Philippians chapter 2, We're told, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. The key to unity is humility. Now, in our culture, humility is not highly valued. Very often in our culture, people think that if you are humble, you have a poor self-esteem. And everybody knows in our culture that a poor self-esteem is a terrible thing. But I want to share with you a better definition. Listen to what Andrew Murray said. The humble person is not the one who thinks meanly of himself. Now, Mr. Um, Mr. Murray wrote a long time ago, and so I need to translate that just a little bit. Mr. Murray was saying, the humble person is not the person who feels inferior. He simply does not think of himself at all. The humble person does not think he or she is inferior. The humble person just doesn't think of him or herself at all. Go back to... Paul's choice of words. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Perhaps the closest we come to that is when we are forced to mutually endure hard times. I found something written by Martin Lloyd Jones. He was writing in England shortly after World War II. He recalled the terror of the Blitzkrieg attacks on London by Hitler's Luftwaffe. Let me read to you what Mr. Jones wrote. How often during that last war were we told of the extraordinary scenes in air raid shelters, how different people belonging to different classes there in the common need to shelter from the bombs and death forgot all about the differences between them and became one. This was because in the common interest, they forgot the divisions and the distinctions in periods of crisis and common need, all distinctions are forgotten. And we suddenly become united. He points out to us what we know from our own experience. Sharing hard times together promotes unity because it promotes humility. The Apostle goes beyond telling us to be humble he goes on and tells us how to be humble, so that we can have complete joy. First, in verse three, he urges us to evaluate our motives. Philippians two, chapter, uh, chapter Philippians chapter two, verse three says, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit." Have you ever started an argument with words such as I need, it's important to me, I like it when? If you do, what are those words revealing about your motive? Are you really looking out for the interests of others or are you being selfish? Now I want to ask you to be careful here. Be really, really careful here because it's easy just to turn the words around And make it sound like you are interested in others when really what you want is something for yourself. That's not humility. That's manipulation. So be honest in your evaluation of your motives. That is amplified by the admonition in chapter 3 to consider others first. I said chapter 3, verse 3, the second part of verse 3 and verse 4. In humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's just what Jesus did. Jesus did not consider Himself. I want to take you back to verses 7 and 8 of Philippians chapter 2. And I want you to to see a progression. I want you to see a progression that goes downward. A progression that goes downward in, the, in, the, in, in what Jesus experienced, it goes from fairly light to very difficult. Verses 7 and 8. He made himself nothing, he emptied himself. Number two, he took on the form of a servant. Number three, he was made in the likeness of humanity. Number four, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient even to the point of death. And then that was a death. It was extremely painful and ultimately humiliating. It was crucifixion. That is the definition of humble. And that pattern is the pattern that we are to follow. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for, who, who, for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I want to underline something for you. And that is that phrase, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. As we look at it, it wouldn't seem that way. But the goal of the cross was joy. And the way to find that joy for Jesus was through humility. And that is the example that we are called to follow. We will only find that joy. and We will only follow that example as we work together There is a wonderful story about Jimmy Durante, who was an entertainer from a generation ago. And actually, as I'm looking at some of our younger people here, two generations ago, he was asked to entertain some World War II II veterans. And he told the organizers of the event that he would do it, but only if they would understand that he only had a very, very limited amount of time because he had to leave and be somewhere else. Well, they agreed to that because Jimmy Durante was a very big draw. So he came out on stage, and he began his monologue, and he stayed longer than he planned. And the longer he stayed, the louder the applause grew, and the louder the applause grew, the longer he stayed. Finally, he had gone from a ten-minute monologue... To expanding it to 15 and then 20 and even 30 minutes. So finally, he stepped off the stage. Somebody backstage said, what happened? You said you could only stay a, just a very few minutes. And he said, I won't tell you what happened. I'll show you what happened. And he asked that person to look from behind the curtain and look on the front row. And there on the front row were two soldiers. Each one had lost an arm in the, in the war. One lost his right arm. The other lost his left arm. And sitting together and working together, they were able to clap. They were applauding and laughing and grinning and having a wonderful time and expressing their joy because they worked together. That's a beautiful picture of the church. We all have our scars. We all have our shortcomings. We all have, to some, some degree, our disabilities from the spiritual warfares that we've been through. But together, we are able to work in unity to make a difference. It's about our attitude and it's about our determination. Paul told the Philippians that when they maintained a spirit of, Harmony, when they would work together in unity, when they would pull together despite their differences and their problems, that they would find real joy. Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Would you like to find some rest for your soul? Would you like to experience real joy? Then come to Jesus. This morning we're going to stay for a little while and enjoy a meal together. So I'm going to be around. And if you'd like to talk about how you really can have joy. If you'd like to talk about how you can really have harmony. I'll be around to talk to you about that. Jeff, your youth minister will be here and your elders are here. So if you want to talk about harmony. If you want to talk about finding the real joy that unity brings. Talk to one of them. We'll pray with you. We'll share from God's Word with you as we work together to glorify God and share our joy with the community around us. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, I am am so grateful for the opportunity to share from Your Word. So grateful for the opportunity that You give us to work together to struggle together, to rejoice together and sing songs of joy and happiness together, to share stories about the ways that You are working in our lives. Thank You so much for all of that. I ask, Father, that in the time that we share together in a meal, that it will be more than just, just a meal, more than just a conversation with friends, I ask, Father, that You'll use this time to rekindle our joy, to bind us in unity, first with Your Son, Jesus, and with one another. And I ask, Father, that this joy that You infuse into us will overflow tomorrow and on Tuesday and Wednesday, and at work, and as we stand in line at the checkout, As we drive, as we interact with people, I ask, Father, that Your joy will overflow and people will be attracted to Your Son, Jesus, because of the joy You have put in us. And I ask that You will do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.